Welcome to the Together for Good podcast brought to you by Bethany Lutheran Church in Cherry Hills Village, Colorado. Our episode today is a conversation between Pastor Gary and myself as we explore all the little details of worship. Uh, This past Sunday, Sunday, January the 3rd, we changed our worship service a little bit and explained some of the different parts that come about each and every Sunday. But we realized when we got to the end of that, that that was only part of the details. We had so much more to share. And so this is kind of the extended cut of what you heard on Sunday. Um, We're not going to really be going over a lot of the pieces we shared on Sunday, but we're wanting to dive into some of the parts that we had to skip over. Um, So here it is. This is a conversation between Pastor Gary and myself as we explain to you many of the different parts of a Lutheran worship service. I hope you enjoy. Okay, so I'm here with Pastor Gary, and we're just going to kind of take it through the worship service. Again, you probably, hopefully have been able to watch the live stream from January 3rd. 2021 Uh, and we couldn't fit all of our grand ideas into that so we wanted to go through it now Um, but one of the things I realized as I was putting this together Gary is that I got to do the opening part where I told everyone why worship was important so I wanted to give you a chance to add anything more to that statement or to uh, critique or correct anything I might have said (laughs) about that (laughs) it would probably always be add not critique or correct I think the reason that we worship is because we have a God that's worthy of worship. And actually, that comes from Mark Allen Powell, uh, who I think really describes it very well in in a couple of different places where where he's talked about that. And I really think that's primary. Part of it is, is that we are created in God's image, and therefore, we have this connection with God in, in the very act of creation. And when we live that out, I think worship is just one of those places that allows it to allows us to live that out in a new way. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I picked up on in your little um, your, the pieces that you spoke about last Sunday, you kept using the phrase of it. These practices draw us closer to God. And so I also yes. got a sense of that's part of your philosophy and understanding of why we have worship every Sunday, so to speak. I think it is. And a lot of people will say, oh, I come to worship to get recharged. I come to worship to hear something new and all of this. And I I think in all of that, um, I hope people don't leave worship saying, ooh, I really learned something new about Pastor Gary. And if if they do, that's okay. Uh But if they have an experience in worship that, that they now say, I somehow feel closer to God, or I feel better prepared to take God into my daily life, that to me is far more important than virtually anything else that can happen in worship. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that's just an important, and that's kind of what I was getting at too. Like we just need a space every seven days or so, if not more, to kind of recalibrate, right? Like what is the the GPS used to say? Recalculate. (laughs) Yeah. Recalculate. That's what we have to do every Sunday. And you did that by bringing in just the whole concept of the creation story. Yeah. You know, that that it already sets the table for the particulars of a worship experience once a week and you know we could say well what if it was a 10-day week would we worship twice a week you know and and all that you could go back and forth on a lot of that and probably what we'd say is we have the week we have and it works yeah and that's and in some ways i'd kind of go i i think that 
God was up to something with the seven days and realized this just works. Yeah. And if it worked for God and we're created in God's image, I think it works for us. Absolutely. Well, I mean, and there's so many other rhythms that we just like willingly fall into anyways sure. because of the seven days or whatever mm-hmm. else it is. Well, so now let's get looking at like some of the specifics too, because again, we couldn't quite, you know, there would have been a four hour worship service yeah. if we had talked about all the details of it. But we're going to kind of just go through like some of the pieces to it. So when we gather, that's kind of the beginning, you know, this beginning portion of worship. And a lot of it is centered around this idea of like the Holy Spirit being the one that gathers us together. And, and there's this real expectation and understanding that it's by God's grace that we're even able to worship together, which I think in this day and age, it seems like such a, well, actually, and actually in 2020, it's not a given. And it's no. been a really nice reminder of like what a, what a privilege that is. Because also throughout all of Christian history, it hasn't always been a foregone conclusion that you could gather for worship. Right. And we certainly have privileges in the United States that you might not find other places. But I'm also yep. struck that when you hear about places where they don't have churches on every corner, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you come from a small town, people will travel two, three hours to get to a worship service. Yeah. And then a two or three hour hour journey home. And they feel like that's a privilege yeah. that they have that opportunity. And, you know, for us to say, oh, it's a seven minute drive to church, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know, is it worth it? It's, I it's, a, my kickoff. <laughs> it's a great, yeah, right, and there's so much else to do. What a great reminder when we see other places about the, the, how meaningful it is to be able to worship. And I hope we don't take that for granted just because of the ease that we have it in most of our communities here. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And, and to, to view it as a gift, like you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah, to view it as a gift. And, and really, so many of the little practices that are a part of this gathering section of worship are, are kind of intended to highlight and, and, and draw that out as well, right? Like that it is by God's grace that we are together on this journey. And so one of the things that I didn't talk about on Sunday was the invocation, sure. which we, which we mm. often do but don't always do. It was included on Sunday. But where we start off by saying, right, like in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. And it's kind of that marking moment, that reminder moment, an invocation in a lot of ways, sort of blessing the space, blessing the time, but also invoking the name of God in three persons, right. recognizing that that's why we're here. That's how this is all happening anyways. Yeah, and when we say in the name of, right. you know, that we are not God gathered here because we like the preacher or the music or whatever. We are mm. gathered in the name of. Good point. The triune God. And that's far more important than anything else that will get named through the rest of the worship service. Yeah, absolutely. Right. That whole undercurrent of humility. I know I talked about that. Yeah, right? like, did a great job talking about even the robes we wear and, mm-hmm. and, and how we approach ourselves as worship leaders. All about the humility of it. And, and it, it goes for everyone, the leaders and the, and the congregation that's gathered. Yeah. And, and then, you know, furthermore, on the humility point, we usually start with a confession of forgiveness. <laughs> right. I'm just like, yeah, we are um, sinners who fall short. And, and that's nice, too, even though we all, you know, like people dress up and look nice when they go to church. Sure. And you probably think about that family like they're always so perfect and on time. Um, but we recognize that everyone is struggling with something. And not getting it right. And so that's why. Anything to add on confession and forgiveness? Just, I think, the understanding that it's forgiveness. And realizing that when we come, it's okay to confess. And that's healthy for us. But if we don't feel forgiven, 
then the confession falls flat. Mm. So part of it is not say how important it is for us to confess. Sometimes how important it is for us to realize God actually really does forgive us. Yeah, well said. Well said, because we can get so focused on on the imperfection pieces that we all have that we're missing the gift God is trying to give us. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's a really great point. Awesome. Okay. And so then following the confession and forgiveness... Whereas usually a gathering hymn. Yeah. Um, and one of the questions that we got through the connection cards uh, multiple times is who the <laughs> heck picks these hymns? Um, right. And so what we should say about that, uh, our director of music, Rick Seaton, who knows a lot about music, usually is usually kind of because on Monday morning he'll send us sort of his, his plan for the week. Right. Um, and then you or I might edit some pieces to it. But Rick always looks at what the readings are. Yes. And so he always asks ahead of time, he's like, are you guys changing the readings this week? Because <laughs> yes. um, sometimes we do that. Um, but he always finds music, and, and, and that goes for the anthems as well, that matches up with that. Yeah, and he also does it in a way that a gathering hymn typically is a hymn that launches us into mm-hmm. worship. The sermon hymn is one that's always looked as a reflection point on the word that's going to be preached, even though he hasn't heard the sermon yet. He still knows what the scriptures are. Right. So he has an idea of where that will go. And the sending hymn really becomes a, a hymn of sending. The, so the music isn't haphazard, even what was chosen, but even where it's placed in worship has its own particularities. And we're just really blessed here at Bethany that we have a director of music who takes all of that so seriously. Right. And who's and who's really theologically attuned as well. I'll just yes. put that in as well. That's not always a foregone conclusion. Sometimes the director of music just likes music and doesn't have, like, it's really an art. And what Rick is able to do, you know, constantly having these hymns that, like you said, meet the different parts of service, but also fully support the different themes that are arising each week. It's really a gift and makes for a very, you know, full and robust gathering, I think. And I'd have to say that uh, there are times when I really don't look ahead and study the hymns very much. Mm -hmm. And so there are times in worship where I'll preach and then we're singing a hymn and I go, holy cow, did Rick pick a great (laughs) hymn for this one? Because it wasn't something that I intended and yet they just blended so well. And other times that's, that's far more intentional and there are... A few occasions where I'll say to Rick, hey, this would be a great hymn following the sermon because I already know where it's going to go early in the week. But other times, I'm hap- I'm just as delighted with the surprise of the yeah. of the sermon hymn as other people are. Yeah, well, and that's right. Like that's the whole Holy Spirit at work as well. Just kind of like all the pieces coming together sometimes is really beautiful and yeah. amazing. So one of the things that we haven't been doing a lot lately because we're very limited on numbers is like a procession into worship, sure. right? You think about that back when, you know, we were gathering in person, we would have someone who would hold the cross and walk in and people would bow at the altar and the choir would come as well. And one of the questions we got was, why do the ushers and acolytes bow at the cross and at the altar? Why, why, what's the point of this whole procession? Pastor Gary, what, what's your answer to that? <laughs> yeah, so there's this, the phrase that people would say is, you walk up and you reverence the cross. Mm-hmm. And you show that you understand the importance of what that means for us gathered. And it goes back to confession and forgiveness and grace that you talked about and even humility yeah. that we understand that we bow just bowing is a is a physical way of showing that we are not god right and so we bow to god's presence in a way that allows god to um to be god yeah well said no i, I love what you said about that one of the things 
when I teach um, in in the past, like I would you know, walk through the worship service with confirmation students or something, for example, and I would talk about the whole procession as a parade for Jesus, which is a little tongue in cheek, but it does like it's that in right. You think about a parade; it's an embodied celebration, mm-hmm. right? And that's part of it too. Is that there's just so many multiple ways that we can worship and show our reverence and respect of God. And that procession being one of them, like there's just something celebratory and really, again, embodied about the leaders coming into the space together with the music, reverencing the altar to kind of show that all of this is out of respect, out of worship towards God, that everything is happening. And maybe that happens in worship in a place where we create pageantry and so many things. I mean, as we're talking about this, we're just a couple of weeks away from a president being inaugurated. Right. And, you know, there's going to be all kinds of pageantry around that. And we would say, why wouldn't we create a, a system or a, you know, a pageantry that honors God? If we create pageantry to honor humans so right. many times, how much more important for us to create something that draws our focus in to the fact that God is the only one really worthy of worship. Humans are worthy of a lot of respect, but only God is really worthy, <laughs> worthy of, worship. of worship. Right, right. I, I think that's a good way, too, just to think about, you know, the, the architecture of churches. You know, there's, there's so much pageantry always attached right. to Christian worship throughout the centuries, and that's what underlies all of it. Great. All right, so that's, that's getting us through the gathering hymn. We're, we're taking our time. That's okay. <laughs> And then we get to, after the gathering hymn, there's that greeting, yeah. right? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all, also with you. And so that, Pastor Nate, where do we hear that in Scripture? <laughs> Thank you. I was, I was hoping someone would ask, and I should have said it on Sunday. Uh, but that's a piece that you need to understand. So much of Lutheran liturgy is taken directly from the Scriptures. So many of these little phrases and back and forth that we have are lifted right out of the Scriptures. So, I think it's three of Paul's letters. At least, right. Yeah, begin with that specific phrase. Yep. And so that's where that apostolic greeting comes from. And like I said on Sunday, it's a, it's a way of kind of blessing one another and, and kind of reminding each other why we're here and who brings us together and wishing well for one another. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then it goes into the Kyrie and Hymn of Praise. We haven't been doing that every single week recently. Right. Um, but those are pieces, if you, if you remember, the Kyrie is that um, usually where the one of the pastors will lead it, right? Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy for this holy house. You, you under, I don't know if you want to say more about that or not. <laughs> I can't remember the words right now. Yeah. I'm freezing on it. I, mean, I think part of it is to realize that asking for peace in the midst of what's about to happen as, we, as we're still kind of entering worship at this yeah. point. You know, we're still feeling like we're setting the stage and asking for peace mercy, not in a way that is, is um, as if we've done something horrible and we're throwing ourselves at, at the mercy of God's feet necessarily, yep. but mercy in its broader, holistic, more of that shalom kind of peace that I yeah, think we're talking about. Sense. Just asking for us to be able to understand God's presence in a way that allows us to exhale and know that God is present. Yeah. And, well, and just words about this, the the full title of that little piece of music, Kyrie eleison, mm. and Kyrie, that, those are Greek words, um, Kyrie meaning Lord, eleison meaning have mercy, right? That, that's basically all that it is. And it's that chanted call and response. And there is something 
something about that type of like call and response singing that is really interesting and very rare. Yeah. And I, I really have grown to appreciate it over the years. I'll just say that is that I realized at one point that church is the only place where people really sing together anymore. Maybe at concerts, yeah. but it's just a very rare occurrence. And, and as I may have mentioned, like singing together is a deeply community forming experience. Um, they did a little like scientific study of it because when you sing, you tend to breathe at the same points. Yeah. And so that also has its, this potential of like syncing up heartbeats in more of a way. And so it is like this way that you don't see or fully recognize, but you're kind of connecting with other people in really deep biological ways almost. So yeah. there's something there's something just special about it. And to be singing these songs of asking God for mercy, like you're saying, for that deep peace and hearing it kind of proclaimed to us as well, because it always the curie flows right into the hymn of praise. And yes. now we did get a specific question on this. Right. It was, what is the origin of this <laughs> is the feast? I don't know if you've had time to research this one yet. <laughs> I haven't, but I, but I do know I was serving in ministry or else I was right in that time of confirmation when the LBW, the green worship mm-hmm. book that we had, came out and it had This is the Feast in it. So what happened, every time you create new liturgies or a new liturgical uh, setting is going to be produced for the masses, for the, for the church, they go and they get... Uh, musicians and people who write music to say put into words and into music these concepts and so you'll in liturgy we can sing something that's the glory to god Mm -hmm. which a lot of times you would use that on a sunday when you're not going to have communion but this is the feast you would typically only sing when you're actually going to celebrate communion because you are talking about the feast feast. that's coming up sure and so really it's a matter of saying we went out, we found musicians, we asked them to submit music, and we said, this captures what we're looking to do. And I think that's just what happened with the This is the Feast. It also happened with um, other liturgies that we have now in the, the Red Worship book, the Evangelical Lutheran Worship book. Mm-hmm. There are some new things in there that we've added. And, and part of it is we said that that music captures what we want people to know about worship. Yeah, and, and it always follows, well, it, it it either usually follows the, the confession and forgiveness or the curie, right? Like, And so both right. of these moments tend to be moments in worship where we are asking God for mercy, asking God for, give, for forgiveness, and God responds with forgiveness. Yes. And so that's a really, what I love about it too is like it's that very Lutheran idea of in light of and in response to God's grace. That's like a phrase that gets yes. used a lot, but that God is forgiving, God is gracious to us, not just so we can do whatever we want and not worry <laughs> about it, but right, like it's out of gratitude for this grace that God gives us that we never deserved, that we then respond with a hymn of praise, that we respond by serving our neighbor, et cetera, et cetera. As, you're, you know, at the end of the service, we'll talk about that later, but you always talk about the, um, remember, be a blessing to others as you have been blessed. It's yeah. that exact idea that we see even with the hymn of praise Absolutely. following the curie. Yeah. So hopefully that answers your question, um, individual who asked about the origin of this is the feast. That's as close as we got to it. Um, but then this closes out the gathering portion of the worship service where we have the prayer of the day. Yeah. And as I mentioned, that's like the bridge piece. We, we close out with this prayer um, kind of for the gathering. And, and the words for the prayer of the day always tend to reflect the readings that we're about to hear. Yeah. And so it's kind of turning our focus from this gathering portion into the word portion.
Which brings us to the word portion. And hey, you did an excellent job talking about all of that on Sunday. But it was we... fun to talk about that. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and there's just so many cool pieces that, that you and I know all the time. Right. But that we don't necessarily get the chance to share with everybody. Um, so one of the things, just thinking about this, is, um, and I think you did a really good job of explaining how the, the scripture readings are what drive the sermon, mm-hmm. not the other way around. Right. And, and so just talk to me. Um, we, let's spend a little bit of time. How do you figure out what you're going to preach on? I need some tricks. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's interesting. I mean, everybody does lots of things. I know some pastors who they will uh, read, you know, commentary after commentary, and then that will lead them into a sermon. Others will, you know, pick up the newspaper and they'll say, "Oh, here's things that I think are really important happening in our world." And my particular thing is once I know the the scripture readings, and the scripture readings for any given day are usually chosen sometimes months ahead of time yep. when we when we plan. Sometimes even six months ahead of time. So we don't always know what's happening in the world or in our own lives or even in the congregation when we choose uh, because there's you know four possibilities, an Old Testament, a Psalm, a New Testament letter, and then a gospel True, reading. Right. We don't do all four. In fact, rarely do we do all four mm-hmm. really just because of, of the, the time timing that it would take to do all of that. So I usually print both of them out on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper and I will read through them for a couple of days and I usually have a highlighter present and I had just highlight phrases that just jump out at me. And I realized for me, having been through the lectionary 10 times now, that I still find phrases every week that I didn't see the previous nine times that yeah, that yeah. cycle came through. But that works for me. And so I usually spend like a couple of days just highlighting two or three words or maybe a five word phrase and then I just let all of those resonate. Hmm. And then I start taking notes in the margins, on the bottom, and all around that piece of paper. And out of that, typically, naturally emerges a sermon. <laughs> just like that. That's all it takes. <laughs> for, for me, when I get really stuck, um, sometimes it's just like, you know, you read it through once or twice, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is exactly, you know, you, oh, you yeah. have a clear vision, and it just right. strikes you, you run with it. But when I get really stuck, what I like to do is I sit with, a, with the scripture passages, and I ask myself, What's the problem that's being like articulated mm. in this particular reading or that Jesus is solving? And then what's the gospel? What is the good news that specifically addresses the problem, right? And this is, I find that really helpful and I think it's really neat when, um, right, you can read a passage of scripture and hear the ways that it's talking about a deep human need and a deep human difficulty, the problem, so to speak. Yeah. But then you also get to see the ways that what's happening there it is giving grace and mercy to whatever that difficulty might be. And so that's, again, not every week how I do it, but some of the times that's kind of where I start with it. Yeah. I had a, a preaching professor at seminary who said, whenever you uh, think you have a sermon, look back. And if it's not about Jesus, go back and redo <laughs> it. That's true, though. <laughs> you know, it's it really is. true. It yeah. is. You have to remember, oh, I'm really <laughs> here to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And right. that might even come through a sermon that's mostly about Moses mm-hmm. or mostly about King David, but it is because of Jesus Christ that right. even Moses and King David have more to say to us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's, I mean, I think that's just a, a unique piece too about our, uh, you know, the Lutheran Church's approach to preaching. Because yes. that's, not, that's not something you'll find in every, in every denomination. Right. But this, this emphasis on proclamation and on proclaiming the good news of Jesus is a very unique 
event that we get to be a part of each and every week. It's such a humbling experience. Yeah. Um, but that that's a real unique approach that we bring to it. Whereas in other churches, maybe, it, you know, I think you and I would say, right, like teaching is more for Bible study. And yes. we certainly do yeah. teaching in it's our sermon. Yeah. But it's always, always proclamation at the end of right. it as well. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the question somebody had asked was, how do we pick what we preach on? And I, I think maybe the answer to that is, I don't. I don't pick <laughs> well, what sorry. I'm going to preach on. My sermon gets revealed as I explore scripture. Yeah. I think my yeah. sermon becomes more revealed to me than I actually choose it. Absolutely. Well, and I, I hope that I hope that the people who listen to us preach pick up on that as well. I, I've just noticed that that is a common theme between both of us. We tend to spend a long time in talking about the biblical text, too. Yeah, Nine times right. out of ten. Right. A lot of our sermon is like, let me explain to you <laughs> some of the details here. Da, 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 da. But that's because yeah. that's kind of where it all extends from anyways. Yeah. Um, so then after one of the things just to say, and you kind of touched on it in the beginning, but I wanted to make sure the hymn of the day is the hymn that comes after the sermon. And I heard it said one time by, by a pastor as my, my campus pastor in college. And he said, you know what? If you didn't hear anything during the sermon, great. Cause that's what the hymn of the day is for. Maybe you'll get something there, but it's a good way to look at it too, yeah, is to remember absolutely. that that song and music can be proclamation too. And so, yeah, if you didn't like Pastor Gary's sermon, maybe you liked the anthem and the gospel was proclaimed through that. Like, there's still room for God to work in those other places of worship as well. And, and thank goodness. And thank goodness. Right? It's such a relief. Yeah. It's not all up to you or me. Um, so then, um, oftentimes, one of the pieces we want to make sure we touch on is the creed. Yes. Because I don't think we said much about it on Sunday. And it is in this word portion uh, typically in the word, yeah, typically yeah. in the word portion of the service. Um, I'll let you start. I've got a lot of thoughts on it. I don't want to spend too long. But <laughs> I think the same way that you talked about music centering our breathing and creating, yeah. the creed does that same thing. Absolutely. It's put in phrases for a reason. It also grounds us to remind us that, hey, when I after I'm done preaching, we're going to say the creed. <laughs> and so my <laughs> preaching shouldn't contradict that. <laughs> That's such a good point. And I, Absolutely. Love, and I love the fact that we talk about the creed is a common thing we all share. Yeah. So that I can think differently about different portions of scripture, but the creed unites us in a way that, that there's a, a basic sense to it that, that becomes so foundational yeah. in a what we would call in a mainline or a liturgical church that uses the creed as a part of our regular worship ceremony. And what I always like to try and highlight for people, too, is to remember that there's grace in the proclamation of the creed, right? We say it together, and, and that's a reminder that we're on this journey of faith together. Yeah. And that right, it's not a test. It's it's not as if, you know, we're checking to make sure, like, do you actually believe this? Can you actually believe this? <laughs> right. It's very hard to believe it all at once. And that's, uh, you know, we're, we're, there's grace in it, and we believe it together as a community. And we hold one another up in our belief and our disbelief and our doubts and our questions. And I think that's just a really important piece to it. That's why I like, there, there's actually three creeds that we might yes. say in worship. Well, and really only two. Really two that we use <laughs> at any kind But of someone in the, in, in the questions asked about the Athanasian Creed, so I'll just mention that there is a third creed. But we usually, we usually say the Apostles' Creed. There's also the Nicene Creed, mm -hmm. which is the one I prefer because the Nicene Creed says, we believe right. in God yes. the Father, whereas the Apostles' Creed says, I believe. And I just like the way that we highlights the community aspect of it. Sure. And then the Athanasian Creed is 
super long. <laughs> That's yes. about all you can say yeah. about it. And very repetitive. And um, you you might say it on, I think it's Holy Trinity Sunday. On right? Trinity Sunday, because the Athanasian yeah. Creed came about when people were saying, hey, Christians, you have three gods, not one. And out of that criticism came the Athanasian Creed as people gathered in Athens to say, how do we convey mm. the fact that we have one God who's revealed in three ways? That's what that creed does. So we use it on, on Holy Trinity, Trinity Sunday, Sunday sometimes. <laughs> it used to be printed in the worship book. It was in the Lutheran book of worship. Uh-huh. They didn't reprint it in the evangelical Lutheran worship. probably Because they ran out of paper. They asked, they asked everybody, how often do you use this? And they go, hardly ever. So they didn't bother printing it. Yeah, and then the Nicene Creed is a neat one because it was, um, I mean, it's a really unifying one that's yes. been used. I mean, and the Apostles' Creed, too. Well, Both of these are used have been used throughout Christianity for thousands of years yeah. the nicene creed was written in 325 is that somewhere right? in that range somewhere yeah, yeah, yeah. early 300s so these have been around for a while and it's a unique i love that idea of like just that our faith has a history you know it's again it's not right. something you and i came up with but this has been a part of people's lives for forever and ever um so then after the creed Sometimes we say the prayers there. We, we've kind of moved the prayers around a lot. Right. That's just a good thing to do as a church together, I think. Anything, I mean, this isn't a podcast on prayer, but anything right. you just want to say about that? I think the intentionality to lift up the joys and concerns of the congregation yeah. is just, it's good for us to remember that as much as we are there to worship God, we are also there. Part of our worship is the extended care of the congregation to those around us. And that means we celebrate with people who celebrate and we uh, mourn with people who mourn and we realize that even what we do there carries out. So we pray for things that are happening out in the world. And that's that's our expression of worship is the fact mm-hmm. that it's not contained in an hour. And probably yeah. the prayers are, if any, if any point, a point to remind us that there's a world out there that is in need of our worship. And that's going to show up as we serve people, as we comfort people, as we pray for people. So to include that as part of worship, I think, just becomes foundational. Absolutely. And and one of the things about prayer that I always like to highlight is that through prayer, um, oftentimes God says, sends us as answers to our prayers. Hmm. And so by gathering together to pray for the concerns all around us, sometimes that can be, it has been for me, you know, like a sparking moment of like, gosh, I should really do something about X, Y, or Z, or I should call that person yep. who's lost a loved one. I think a lot of that can happen in that space as well. Certainly. Um, and then we do the greeting of peace, yeah. um, which is really nice. And one of the things that gets often talked about, we always have the peace at some point before communion. Mm-hmm. And the idea being of like that you give a greeting of peace, that you restore your earthly relationships before coming to the table. That. Is that in 1 Corinthians, I think? It yeah, even specifically something. says mm-hmm. that, um, that that's part of the intention, is that we, we shouldn't be bringing baggage and animosity to communion together. Right. Yeah. Anything you want to say about the peace? Just that if there are times in our world when we feel animosity toward another, when you say, peace be with you, it's really hard now not to have your heart opened up to that person. Yeah. So if, if anything, it's a matter of saying, again, the precursor to the table, the yep. communion, the community meal. Why wouldn't I want that to be a place where peace is known? Absolutely. 
Um, and those words, right? The peace of the Lord be with you always. That's also from Paul's letters. Oh, that's right. Just yes, again, yep. like we should have been highlighting that all along. But you read a lot of the Bible just by going through worship, <laughs> right. so to speak, <laughs> realizing it or not. So then, um, then we have the offering. Um, and I think you just did such an excellent job on Sunday about talking uh, of how offering is an act of worship itself. It's not just like, oh, hey, we need to keep the lights on. No, no, no. Right. Like this is specifically within our worship service because in our offering we are um that is an act of worship in and of itself and i i remember i was at a conference for pastors young pastor um what do they call it they called it baby pastor school (laughs) um first call theological and so it was all pastors who had just started out and we had a worship service and there was no offering as part of it. Uh-huh. And one of the people there like got all upset and said, like, no, no, no. Like, and so from everyone there on after within that conference, we always had took an offering, collected an offering, because that is an act of worship. I thought yeah. that was really profound. Yeah. Um, anything more you wanted to add? You got to say a lot on Sunday. Maybe that uh, somebody asked about bringing the offering forward. Oh, that's right. Know, yeah, as, yeah. A, as a part of yeah. that. And uh, along with the bread and wine. A and I think bread. I love the fact that um, our financial gifts were brought forward because that would have been how things would have been uh, happened in the early church. Right. You know, you'd have brought your 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 first fruits. Your labors would have come forward and be, been literally laid at the altar as at your offerings altar, go. Right. Which is why, more recently, when we've been in person, we actually set the financial offerings on the altar table, yeah. because that connects. The altar was a place where offerings were received from the people, and now. The altar table becomes the meal table where we now are served by God. And so we need to connect our offering to God and then God's offering to us. And I think that's really important. And so the reason also the bread and wine are brought forward then is because these are uh, gifts of the, the earth, gifts of people's labor. So that's brought forward as a way of extending that these gifts that God gives to us are, in a way, a result of our labor and bringing them to God. Absolutely. Well, and there's that beautiful offertory hymn that, that talks about all this as well. Yes. Like, as the grains of wheat were gathered from the hills to become one bread, as the grapes are gathered in one to become one cup, so are we gathered together at one table to, to be fed by God. Yes. And, and all of that links. And, and right, like you're seeing the way too, that the offering often, it comes usually right before communion, and it right. does provide this like beautiful transitional moment. Yes. Like you're saying, of putting... The financial offerings on the altar, and remember, it's called an altar. It's not a table, right? <laughs> uh, very specific about that. Uh, do you want to say anything more about? It? You always have it. You kind of went into it a little bit, but I know you have a lot of good thoughts about the difference between altar and table. Well, yeah, because I had some people say, you know, there is a communion table, and I like to, and I think the reason that it is an altar now is because the offerings are brought yep, forward. Absolutely. If if we didn't bring the offerings forward then it is a communion table. But I think it's far more meaningful to have an altar, a place where our offerings are brought and a place where God offers to us the greatest gift that we could imagine through that forgiveness of sins. Absolutely. And so that leads us into communion then. We talked a lot about just our different approaches to it and yeah. to say that um, no one way is right, but it's. I, I think what was really great about um, that time too was just a, I think we both have a real sense of... Um, humility with that and 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 just kind of the sacred moment that yeah. is communion right and so lutherans believe in what's called the real presence of christ that in some way we can't quite explain and put our <laughs> finger on jesus is actually present in the meal that by by sharing in bread and wine at communion 
we are connecting with God and with Christ in a way that's just a little different. I don't know. Do yeah. Any more you want to say about yeah, that? Yeah, and, and in a physical way. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah I mean, and that, there's something really profound about that, too, about, like, taking in Jesus into your very being mm-hmm. and, like, letting these ideas and these teachings and this way of life that Jesus modeled become a part and embodied in you and right. continue through your actions in the world. Yeah. Any more about communion? We said a lot on Sunday, and I don't want to belabor the point. Yeah, maybe maybe we have that that phrase that we use, the in, with, and under, oh, which is a phrase you. from Luther. And largely that would be maybe in contrast to what was happening in the Roman Catholic Church, where there was something called transubstantiation, where they believed that the bread and wine became the actual physical body and blood of Jesus Christ. And, and Lutherans, we don't believe that. It becomes the physical body and blood of Jesus, but we believe that Jesus is present. And when we say in, with, and under, it sounds like, well, that's a whole lot. And a lot of positions. And kind of it would be to say, yes, in every possible way that Jesus can be present, uh-huh. that's how we see it happening. Yeah. Without having to understand that it that it actually changes in substance. It is still bread and wine. But Jesus being present in every way possible, in, with, and under, yeah. that, that's, I think, it just is a way of talking about the encompassing nature of how we understand Jesus' presence in communion. And just to say that, I mean, the, the specifics of all the things you just mentioned, one of the ways I like to phrase it is just to say that communion is one of the places where God has promised to show up. When Jesus has said, I will be there. And and it doesn't mean that, you know, Christ isn't present in other parts of our life. But this is one spot where it's like, no, 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 no. Like, absolutely, this is a place where I will show up. And I just think that that's, I don't know, that's often what's going through my head as I take communion, too. Like, this is a holy, sacred moment that that I can't quite put my finger on, too. I kind of like that mystery element to it all. Oh, absolutely. Of just, right, like, God is something beyond. God is God and I am not, and I don't fully understand it, but yet there's something happening in this moment that that's bigger than myself. Right. You know, that came up when we started communing people younger and younger in the church. You know, and somebody said, how can we commune somebody before confirmation if they really don't understand what communion is? And then we started communing people <laughs> at fifth grade and third grade and, and even now first grade or, or younger. People say, how can they commune if they can't understand it? And I mean, if it's about understanding what happens there, then I'm not sure I can take communion Absolutely. on Sunday. Well, and, and I mean, to, furthermore to that point, one of the other places that God promises to show up is baptism, right? That's right, another spot. Yes. And the reason I think we do infant baptism is because it's not about what that infant does. The infant doesn't have any say in what's going on whatsoever, but that's kind of the point. God chooses and claims that child anyways. Right. Not because the child was worthy and said all the right things or believed all the right stuff, but simply because it is a child worthy of love, worthy of God's love, creation, forgiveness, all those good things. So then... Any more on communion? Well, the do we want to say about the Lord's Prayer? So we say so, the Lord's Prayer at the at, at kind of the conclusion of communion. Right, and even when we don't have communion, we still usually have the Lord's Prayer in worship. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unusual for it not to be there. There are two translations or two versions of the Lord's Prayer in our worship books. One that has traditional language that people have memorized and, and known, and then another with um, some ecumenical language. And, and somebody asked, why haven't we adopted the new version of the Lord's Prayer? I think the reason that we haven't is because when it first came out in 1978 and was published in our worship books, it became known as the Contemporary Lord's Prayer. Huh. And people 
didn't want to think their church was becoming contemporary because they thought they were part of a traditional church. And I think that actually put a roadblock. Funny. I never talk about it as a contemporary Lord's Prayer. Uh -huh. It's the ecumenical Lord's Prayer. It's one that's used um, in lots of different denominations. And so it wasn't developed to be new language. It was developed to be common language uniting. that we all share, oh, uniting language. Yeah. Because we have debts and debtors and trespasses and sins and, and all of that. But this is one place where, one, it does maybe update the language so a young person doesn't have to know uh, uh, thys and thous because who uses those in their regular conversations anymore? Yeah, Virtually nobody. Uh, but I do think that when we understand that that Lord's Prayer can connect us without having to worry about the different phrases that we use. If we talk about the ecumenical Lord's Prayer, I, I think it will catch on more. I have to admit, I actually prefer it if I know that a lot of people are going to use it. But it also becomes awkward in worship when it's printed and then somebody starts, <laughs> Our Father who art in heaven. And they go against what's printed in the worship bulletin, yeah, which has that. happened to all of us at times. But when we can find and, and, and live into it, like it becomes natural and flows out of our tongue in a way that feels prayerful instead of, right. oh, that's right, I have to think about it. We're doing the new one. That can put a stumbling block in people's path. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just kind of one of those tricky things. Um, and, the, and that people get so, you know, they really love what's familiar, especially that's at a right. time like that. Certainly. Yeah. So then after the meal, we come to the sending portion of the service. And in the sending, that's when there's usually a benediction and a sending hymn, as we talked about on Sunday. And I want to confess, <laughs> this happens in worship sometimes. I said, you know, in my little, I, all the pieces I wanted to make sure I mentioned about the sending. And I said that we'd be using a benediction that comes from Numbers chapter 6. And then when it came time to say the benediction, I froze. I could not remember how the blessing on Numbers chapter 6 begins. Um, so I said something completely different that wasn't correct. That's not from Numbers chapter 6, but was still a very fine <laughs> blessing and benediction for the day. Um, for the curious, in Numbers chapter 6, it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. That's probably one you've heard before. It's a very familiar benediction that often gets used. I wanted to make sure I confessed my mistake here and corrected it <laughs> anything to add about sending and benediction gary maybe that we in the christian church then will add in the name of the father son and holy spirit oftentimes yes. as part of that benediction that does not appear in numbers obviously and in that part they weren't talking about the triune god the same way we do now but i think in a, it also bookends the service that we started in the name of the father son and holy spirit we, and we close. end in the name of the father son and holy spirit awesome very good i don't think i necessarily picked up on that that's uh -huh. a great point well so there you go um most of the thing I, I don't want to say everything you ever needed to know about worship but there's we packed a lot in there and again um if you didn't get to see the service itself it was uh january 3rd it's on our youtube channel i'll leave a link in the show notes um, and we're always available for more questions, but hopefully this is informative and helpful. And I had a lot of fun, Pastor Gary. I did too. <laughs> yeah. And we really appreciate you joining us as we explore worship together. Absolutely. Stay in peace, everyone. Beep.